Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Hello, welcome everybody. Uh, yeah, welcome to Sunday Sit Inside LA, Long Beach. Uh, so today, um, actually I think it's going to be a couple. Um, I'll be facilitating next week as well. I think it'll be a two-part deal, but go over actual practice, actual practice instruction. Um Sometimes uh, Buddhism is quite large, quite big. There's lots, lots of uh, tools in the toolbox, if you will. And so I get a question a lot like, what do I practice? Uh, what do I actually do when I sit down? Because there's a lot of options. And then sometimes, too, um, the instruction can be a little bit uh, patched together, you know, like um, a little bit here, a little bit there little dharma talk here, dharma talk there. So it's um, nice to have maybe a little bit of structure. Um, also, too, with traditional Buddhist practice is that we, we bring in the path to the meditation. Um, so a lot of times there's just um, a technique. And so somebody says, you know, I do TM, for example, which is a mantra meditation, or... Um, there's just some lineages where when, when you get to the technique part, there's a big, there's a big well, well-rounded teaching around the technique. But then when you sit down to meditate, you just do the technique. Where with um, Theravada, Tibetan practice, we actually bring in a lot of the path into the actual practice. And that helps with the continuity of the practice too. Because it actually never leaves. The, the path is the technique. The technique's the path. So in a traditional, um, the Tibetan would call it a sadhana. A sadhana is your daily practice. And in that sadhana, there's elements in that sadhana. Um, and so we can go over each one, of those, each one of those elements that we want to bring into our daily practice and go over one by one. And also, too, I'm going to leave extra time today for a Q&A for practice questions. Um, if you have any practice questions as well. Uh, what I want to start off with is posture. And this is something that often gets missed. Um, uh, and posture is very, very, very important. And it's not important at all. <laughs> all at once. Um, it's important if you're, if you're doing a formal practice, your sitting practice, and you're sitting wrong, um, there's no right or wrong, but it gets uncomfortable, and that becomes your practice. That session will be, I'm in pain practice. You know? um, this hurts practice. Um, it's not a bad practice, but um, if you're trying to get some continuity with another uh, anchor, it can become difficult. Unfortunately, I'm sitting not so well right now because I'm just sitting in this chair, but, um, but I'm going to explain it, and then maybe we could... You know, there's plenty of people on the cushion here. So the, the first piece to remember when you're meditating, it doesn't matter for one, it's not, there's nothing holy about sitting on the ground. There's, that has nothing to do with it. You're sitting on a cushion on the ground or sitting in a chair, no difference, no problem. One thing you want to keep in mind, though, is you want to be held up by your skeleton, not your muscles. You want to be held up by your skeleton, not your muscles. If your muscles are holding you up, they're going to fatigue, right? It's not going to work so well. So we want to be held up by our skeleton. The best way to, to do that, the first thing, hips above your knees. So this, this, if you're in a chair or if you're on the cushion, hips above your knees. Now, I'm going to say these things. You don't need to adjust now because <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, whatever. Because we're not set up. We don't have as many 
cushions and everything to support like you know everyone getting comfortable the chairs need to be lifted up and all that stuff so like if you're in a chair and your hips are not above your knees um, you would grab a cushion and sit on a pillow or something like this right so if our hips are not above our knees we could sit in the V you ever see those classic like stock images of somebody meditating <laughs> you, you'll see it it's a white girl in yoga clothes and she's like <laughs> you know a young white girl in yoga clothes and she's sitting like that and and you know that's not a meditator because you could you can't sit like that that long you're in a v and you're being held up by your abdomen right um so if your hips are above your knees now your spine can rest on your pelvis and has an opportunity to go forward and backward and can reach a balancing point. Without that, you're stuck, yeah? So now that you're like this, you could reach a balancing point back and forth. Again, being held up by the skeleton. The second piece is three points of contact. So think of like a tripod. So you want your sitting bones and then your knees need to be supported by something. What's your name again? Justin. Justin. So Justin, both knees are on the ground and he's got his sitting bones are on a cushion and his hips are above his knees. Be like Justin. <laughs> Good stuff. I'm gonna call Bonnie out just because um, this is another example. So. Bonnie, hips are still above her knees, good. But you see she has two floating knees, right? So we all use floating knees if your knees are not touching anything. So if those in the back, her knees are just not touching the floor, right? They're floating. Now, a lot of us, our knees won't touch the floor, it, and that's just how we're made, right? And it's no problem. So if this is the case, you just simply want to put something underneath your knees. So you put something underneath your knees. now. You see, when she did that, now her hips are not exactly above her knees. So, Joe, go ahead and hand her that cushion. You just keep building up a throne. So, almost, it's true, like, almost anyone could sit on the floor. You just need to just keep building it up. So, now, you see that she built up, for those in the back who can't see, she built up the, her seat, if you will, and brought her hips back up. And see, now she looks comfortable. She's got three points of contact, and her hips are above her knees. So this is the bottom part. So now for the, for the upper body, take our hands out. Be careful of the person sitting next to you. Thumbs pointing upwards towards the ceiling. And bringing the, the palms, I'm sorry, the hands down, palms facing the ceiling, and onto the lap. Now you feel that openness in the chest, a sense of openness. This is the feeling that you want. It helps with the curvature of the spine. Chest is nice and free and open. That's the feeling that we want in the upper chest. Now, you don't need to stay with the hands like this. You can if you like. You want to keep this openness, but actually your hands could actually do whatever. If you want a more grounding practice, you can bring the palms down if you're a little revved up. You can keep them up if you're feeling a little dull in mind. Keep, keep the hands pointed upward. My favorite is just here, but keeping that openness. And my favorite favorite, if I'm <laughs> meditating for any length of time, because my shoulders, I have like what's called loose shoulders. So if you meditate for a while, your shoulders can begin to ache. So we want support, so you could just put your palms on a cushion, and also this helps with the stability to keep the upper body awake and open. So, you know, just slouch, right? And then, resting the head on top of the spine. So, the same thing, just like the lower trunk, resting the head on the spine, and you could feel where that balance point is. Back and forth. Usually it's with the chin dropped down just a, just a touch.
the tongue. Sometimes people like the tongue at the roof of the mouth. It helps with like saliva, like long meditations. It helps with an energetic principle. There's an energetic principle as well. <coughs> and then the eyes. The eyes, you could have all the way closed. In the beginning, this is kind of nice, but then we go into a lot of daydreaming when the eyes are totally closed. Usually, the eyes are not fully closed, allowing, allowing a little bit of light to come in to the bottom of the eye. And also, if you're having a dull meditation, you can keep the eyes open. If you keep the eyes open, you want to focus them on a space about half a distance between your eyes and the floor, so out in front of you, just in space, like so. And then you open up your vision, like your peripheral vision, and so you're resting like so. See, just by the posture, just talking about posture, we're already meditating. I didn't even say meditating, we're all, we're all meditating. It's like, oh, we're meditating. <laughs> so this really influences the mind. Like when we're, when we're focused, um, when we put the body in a certain position, we could automatically, when we balance the, the body, we could feel the mind want to go ahead and just slip into meditation. So posture is important like this, like in a formal practice. But also too, you know, we can meditate anytime, anywhere, right? Meditation sustained voluntary attention. So this is a good way to start too about what is meditation anyway. Sustained voluntary attention. There's many ways to get there. So, um, so after posture, in many practices, we sit down the cushion, we're in our posture, we take refuge. What do we take refuge in? You're not talking to me. The Buddha, the Sangha, and the Dharma. There you go. The Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Thank you. Um, so, Wendy and I got to sit with Za uh, Kilung Rinpoche yesterday, who is a, a Nyingma from the Nyingma tradition, um, where their main practice is Dzogchen. It's a really wonderful opportunity um, to sit with the, the Tibetan master. You know, he was actually from a actually still is from a nomadic tribe in, in Tibet and so um, and he still lives part of the time there in Tibet in a nomadic way um, which is you know very rare and I asked him you know we had a little special Q&A after the public teaching um, and I asked him so what is the biggest difficulty here in the West you know because each culture has its strengths and weaknesses um, like Tibetan, they're they're lazy, you know, because this is what they say. I'm not saying, I'm not calling them lazy. <laughs> they say like, you know, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that they do because the culture is super laid back, and so it's like to get like the the motivation and everything going. There's a lot of things in their culture they they use technique wise, and they flavor the practice. Um, to to gain some um, more more motivation and stuff like that, um, and then here I asked him like, what is our problem? And it's <laughs> it, you know because what are our weaknesses? And he said you know we're the opposite. You know we're too type A, and we we're um, we lack focus. But he's it's interesting. He says you lack focus, and I said ah oh, you know I see this because we're all we're all over the place, but. He says, but you don't lack concentration, you have good concentration, which I was a little confused on, but he elaborated in that 
actually because we have so much self-criticism, we're like really good focused because we're good organizers, good planners, and we're, blah, blah, blah. we're like too focused. Mm. So we're too tight. You know, they call it too tight, too loose. And our meditation has to be in the middle. They use like the sitar string analogy. They tune in the guitar. So he said like we're too tight and then we get self, we self-criticize and all of a sudden <coughs> now we have doubt. The hindrance of doubt arises and then we can't, we can't meditate properly. And so he said this is number one. And the second one, which he reiterated all day long, was wrong view. Wrong view. And what he did in the public teaching and privately with us and whatnot was that he kept reiterating that, you know, meditation, it works great for stress relief. He's, he's very aware of NBSR. <laughs> he's like, mindful for stress relief, good. But that's not all of it. You know, there's so much more. Like, why be liberated in a small way when you can be liberated in a, in a very big way. So, um, so he kept stressing this. It's like, you know, we see a lot of like using meditation to get ahead, <coughs> using meditation to do better at work, for meditation for better relationships. Um, and all of this, and, and it, there's always that reminder, meditation is not going to make your life any better. Uh, it's gonna make, it's gonna allow you to have a reaction, your reaction to life and how you work with the difficulties of life. Um, that's what's going to improve. And the Buddha actually just wanted to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Wait, did I say that? Yeah, being, yeah comfortable with being uncomfortable. So, we're not trying to fix what's out there. Not in this way. There's other tools for that, and that's needed and that's necessary and that's good. That's just not the right view of, of the practice. The, the right view of the practice would be, I could be liberated in any situation, like whatever comes to me, because we def- definitely know that old age sickness, sickness and death, they're coming. We're not going to fix that, right? And so we're training to find the source of contentment and happiness no matter what. Like no matter what comes... And if we're using it, so if we're, if we're, it's like this, um, if we're using the practice for something other than that, there's always relating to the practice on how that's going. You see, we're, we're basing the progress of our practice on external life instead of <coughs> internal life. See, the, the fruition of the practice has to be based upon how we feel inside, not how our life is going. You know, life is always on the verge of sucking, like, <laughs> at any moment. At any moment, it can boom. But that doesn't mean we need to suffer with it, you know. We need to notice that. So, this taking refuge, this is why we start with taking refuge. Because we usually take refuge in... Like Netflix, Netflix <laughs> Refuge, right? Or um, ice cream. I, that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> or Kitty Cat, because that's my second favorite. So we take refuge in that is which is outside of ourselves, and of course we can take refuge in very harmful things. You know, we could take refuge in alcohol and drugs and, and those types of things too. So, and this is like our go-to. We take refuge in distraction. This is our favorite. You know, when the going gets tough, the tough get distracted. We're just like, we're going to distract ourselves away from it. So taking refuge in the Buddha, there's a few different pieces to this. The Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. The Buddha is an historical reference. It's a, it's, the Buddha is an example of a human being who was suffering just like us, who wanted to suffer less. And so he went on pilgrimage, and he was a seeker, and he did a bunch of stuff, all the same things that we have access to, like meditations and all this stuff. And he finally did it. He freed himself of this suffering. That's, that's innate. The suffering's innate in samsara, and also nirvana is innate within us. And, and he did that. So there's inner and outer 
refuge. So the outer refuge is in the outer Buddha. And then we're taking refuge in our inner Buddha. And so this inner Buddha is our own Buddha nature. So our own Buddha nature, we're taking refuge in this. So this is a very, it's like a 180 degree difference between what we usually take refuge in. And we need this in meditation, right? We need this in meditation. We need this taking refuge that there's something, there's some purity within myself that I know that I can get to. So the first thing, take refuge in the Buddha. Now we're taking refuge in a skillful way. We're not just taking refuge blindly. This is the Dharma. Because we're using the teachings to take refuge. So if we just say, you know, I'm good. I'm just going to sit with my suffering. Well, we kind of try that. And this is why, being that we don't have the skillful, skillful means to deal with the suffering that arises, this is why we move into distraction. We move into distraction because of self-compassion. Because we don't want to suffer. And what, we look, what we're looking at, it hurts. And so when it hurts, you know, we build a wall around that, and then we're like not going over there. We're going to be a right and just not think about it, which is wise. That's actually wise, but to honor our coping mechanisms. That's good. Yet, when we get tools that allow us to look and hold and nurture and nourish in a skillful way, when we start to get those tools, we start to throttle them in very wisely. This is the Dharma. We're taking refuge in that this has worked over and over and over again for thousands of years, you know? We're taking refuge in that. That this works. So this is the, the Dharma. But it's not just the Buddha's teachings. So of course Dharma means truth. This is you. You're the teaching. You're the guru. You know. You know what you need. So we are the teachings. The Buddha, the Dharma, you are the teachings. And the teachings are also, the other version, uh, interpretation of, of Dharma is all phenomena. All phenomena arising is the Dharma. So this is why you meet somebody and they're not so nice. you like, that's the Dharma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning patience from you. Thank you. And then the Sangha. So the Sangha are spiritual friends. Of course, we're sitting here with our Sangha. And, um, you know, like I mentioned, we're up at Inside LA yesterday. And um, this Sangha here, very famous Sangha. Hmm. It's true. Like Wendy and I go up there. Because now we've had quite a few people from Inside LA come down. We have Alan, we've had David Lee, we've had um, Gulu back in the day. Bath. So all these, uh, for those of you who don't know, these are all other Inside LA teachers who've come down. And um, they always say, that's the best group ever. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. I was like, we know. They're awesome. <laughs> like proud parents. Yeah. <laughs> They're rad. <laughs> How many of you here for Krishna last, last week? Krishna awesome? He's, he's really cool, huh? Um, so, of course, there's a story of Ananda and Buddha. And Ananda comes to Buddha and says, You know, Buddha, I think Sangha is 50% of my entire practice. And Buddha says, No, Ananda. The Sangha is 100% of your practice. We cannot do it alone. You know, like when... When we're suffering, it's like a meditation, when we're a meditation on retreat or something like this, or even for the half an hour, right? Sometimes you're not doing so well. Let's say your practice, your meditation, you're already thinking about something else or whatever. Something, someone else is holding your practice for you. They're holding your practice. Someone else is having a good moment. Yeah? And then maybe... All of a sudden you come back, hey, I'm meditating. I'm coming back home for a moment. Lasts about five seconds before our mind wanders again. We come back. 
and then you're holding you're holding their meditation for them sometimes in life we're not doing so well like we need friends yeah we need reminders buddha nature this is what a teacher is they say like a teacher like a, a master is holding on to your enlightenment the remembrance of it and always reflecting it back to you you say a buddha is never sees you outside of buddhahood you know like they're just seeing the buddha and remembering that and holding that and reflecting that back over and over and over and over again until you remember too you know and this is what we can do for each other either in the moment to moment practice in a meditation but as our path we have to hold that for one another I think it's interesting in, in Tibetan culture, and you know, you can believe this or not about reincarnation. Cause some people have, yeah, a whole bunch of different views on it. But they have something called the Heart Suns, and the Heart Sun is, you know, the Fourteenth Dalai Lama. So the Dalai Lama passes away and then be, becomes reincarnated, and then they've been doing this. There's, it actually takes a community to 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 do it because of incarnating beings. Because what they do is one dies and then but when they're born back they teach each other again and those are called the heart sons and they've actually been reincarnating together for centuries together and then they died and they give them back what they call their mind stream and they hold on to their mind stream and then they give it back <laughs> but anyway you cannot you cannot believe that or whatever but it's interesting um but that's kind of what we're doing for each other you know, we've forgotten, and then we say, hey, look what we're here for. So the beginning of a practice, you sit down, I take refuge. Usually we say this three times, I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. We're taking refuge here. Where are we taking refuge? Here, not out there. This is normal, everyday life. When's lunch? You know, take refuge. This is our happiness, right? We're suffering. We're hungry. Where do you take refuge? Where's lunch? Right? Um, I'm tired. Where do you take refuge? Bed. You know, I want to zone out. Whatever. You notice that it's like, it's, where do we go to find peace? Like, like, where's the next thing? Notice that most of our tendency is to cover the, the to take care of the sensory body. Right? That's where we go. So our natural inclination isn't, I feel a little bit of suffering, like I'm cold. What do you want? Blanket. Right? Our natural tendency isn't saying, I'm cold. I'm going to go this way. Yogananda was telling a story one time, and he was, he was uh, out, he was sleeping outside, and it was him and a friend. And he was in India, and they had one blanket. And he noticed that he kept stealing the blanket <laughs> from his friend, you know, like, and then he thought, oh, so unkind of me, you know, like, I want him to have the blanket, but then he'd wake up and cold, you know, steal the blanket, <laughs> and uh, so finally he gave the blanket, moved the blanket, and he thought, I am made of the same substance of the sun that makes the sun. You know, I am made of the same stuff, substance, like the all cre the creation, the creator. You know, That's the, so he's taking refuge like his Buddha nature. He's like, I'm everything. I'm all the warmth that there ever was. You know. And he says, I fell asleep like that, and I felt warmth. You know, I felt warmth. I never, I didn't wake up cold again. You know. But to me, the idea of like this turning inward for refuge. And what happens is, is that in meditation, our inwardness isn't enough, so we jump out into hope and fear. Like, even in meditation, we fantasize about, you know, making our life better. You know? Oh, planning mind, da-da-da-da. <laughs> so, all of this goes back to what Rinpoche was saying, right view, right view, like, and right intention and motivation. Like, why are you doing it? which would be next, taking refuge. And then taking refuge, and then the next thing would be our intention, our motivation. Why are we doing it? 
Are we doing it for stress relief? No problem. But wherever we're headed, you know, if you take a trip, you know where you're going. You get in the car, doesn't matter if you have like a fast car, if you have a Ferrari and you go in the wrong direction, then you're going to get to the wrong direction very fast. <laughs> but wrong direction. So we're setting, setting the, the direction. Remember Shay said yesterday something I haven't heard. He's like, you know when you, when you don't have an alarm clock and you tell yourself to wake up in the morning at a certain time, it's pretty cool to how like your, your body can do it like within a few minutes. So setting our intention, it's, it's extremely powerful, but it's a little bit hard to kind of comprehend that when we go to meditate and we say, I'm setting the intention that may I do this practice to reach enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. Like this is a very a common altruistic motivation that we could have. I'm doing this practice so I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. There's something about that intention intending it to do it and even for like a little mantra and then say your do your little omanipemiums that setting that intention the fruition of that just like waking up in the morning you set the intention that's all you did I'm going to wake up at 6 right so you set the intention and then you do the practice and the practice is the fuel for the fruition of that intention but we have to have the intention. Intention. So this is like setting the alarm <laughs> to wake up. <laughs> like Bodhi, mind, wake up. This is our awakening intention. Like wake up at 6 a.m. I want to reach enlightenment at 8 p.m. Um, setting the intention now. I'm going to say a few mantras. Wake up. Um, so take refuge. Take refuge, set your intention. Why are you doing this? The next piece, and again, this is not, well, those two are usually in chronological order, but this one could be, could not be, is the heart. Usually the Brahma Viharas in Theravada or the four immeasurables in Tibetan, they're called them, um, also known as the heavenly abodes because we need to have a whole bunch of different names for the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> to make it really confusing. But this is, um, this goes along with intention. Um, and this bodhicitta, this bodhicitta motivation, this is the, this strong desire to reach enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. So we're cultivating bodhicitta. So these things like right view, um, bodhicitta, they're the, they're like the beginning of the path or the middle and then also the end. So there's like relative bodhicitta and ultimate bodhicitta. Relative bodhicitta is this cultivated, relative, like we're building up loving kindness and compassion. But we are loving kindness and compassion. But we have to cultivate it first. So this softens the heart-mind, you know. So it's, it's interesting, like bodhi, uh, awake, Cheetah, mind, awake, awakened mind. Usually if you say bodhicitta to anyone, they think heart practice. That's a heart practice. Bodhicitta is known as the heart practice. But if you look at this translation, bodhicitta, it's awakened mind. So this is setting off. When we go into meditation, you know, people think, oh, you're purifying mind. There's no difference. Heart, mind. Heart, mind. Heartfulness, mindfulness, same thing. So yet you're bringing in the heart to whatever you do next. Whatever you do next, it has to be infused with the heart. So if you're doing a really intense DD visualization or you're just focused on the sensation of the tip of your nose, you're doing it with the heart. So the, the four immeasurables, like may all beings be happy, may all beings be free from suffering. And then we think sympathetic joy may all beings have joyfulness and may I rejoice in their joyfulness and may their good fortune never cease but grow greater and greater. And the fourth one is equanimity. Equanimity is taught a little different in traditions 
Uh, in Tibetan, they really emphasize equanimity between all beings. Some, some beings, some friends become enemies, some enemies become friends, some strangers become loved ones. So we're all the same. And then also equanimity is that we could love people and, and really um, give them really good advice and they cannot take it. And then we're going to love them anyway. <laughs> and every parent knows what this is all about. <laughs> Don't do that. Ouch. I told you not to do that. Oh, I love you anyway. Stop doing that. Um, so this is... Oh, wow. It's already 11 away. Okay, I'm going to open up to Q&A. Um... <coughs> So next, just to kind of fold it out, you know, um, traditionally you would do a concentration practice, shamatha, and then a vipassana aspect to the meditation, which is insight, which is the, the wisdom cultivated by bringing up whatever you're looking at, and then a resting. You're just resting in the beingness of the meditation and openness, and then dedicating the merit. So dedicating the merit is dedicating all the goodness towards your intention. The intention that you, that you brought up in the beginning, you're dedicating the merit of your practice to that. May that come to fruition. And that is a really good framework for meditation. I'm going to write this in the, the notes. For, yeah, um, you went through that pretty fast. Could you just go through it again with just an example of what the practice that attaches to each of those phases that you mentioned? Right, the, like the shamatha ones or like the whole thing? Well, just what you... Just the last piece? The last piece? Right. Yeah, so shamatha would be concentration. So that'd be like you're focused on the sensations at the tip of your nose, right? So vipassana is anything that is gives insight into what is arising. So it could be a natural looking. So like as the thoughts, emotions, and body sensations arise, so like you're focusing here, but you're looking into the nature of those it's kind of a natural arising. And then in some practices, it's kind of through a natural arising. Like as you sit with, with each other, we're learning our nature, right? Human nature. We all know human nature just by being around humans. And then th what's thought nature? By hanging around thought, you're going to know thought nature, emotion nature. So that what's the nature of it? Then you could also, there's some techniques of Vipassana where it's very direct. So you're saying, which I'm, maybe you've heard, like, where do thoughts come from? Where do they abide? Where do they go? How much does a thought weigh? How, you know, heavy, how heavy is it? What, what's its shape? Does it exist in the body, outside the body, really far away from the body? You know, so we start looking like this into the true nature of things. And this depends on your practice. If you're doing nature of mind meditation, it's going to be different than looking at Vedna, like emotions, that'll be different. So that's insight. And then resting, like choiceless awareness. When we just rest in no object, so this is called objectless or choiceless, we're resting with just the fruition of the practice. If you're doing metta, loving kindness, there's an afterglow of loving kindness. You stop doing the phrases, stop doing the technique, there's an afterglow. You're resting in that. The meditation is there to cultivate and start to meditate you. Yeah? So there's at some point we need to release the meditation, the technique, and just sit with the fruition of it. This could be even five-minute meditation. You're sitting with whatever's been cultivated. You're sitting with that. You drop the meditation and then dedicating the merit. May all the goodness and wisdom that's been cultivated in this meditation, may these be for... My, my enlightenment for the enlightenment of all beings. May all beings be happy and free from suffering. Almighty God, be So, I talked too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, practice questions. Very thorough, Casey. 
And we're going to shamatha and vipassana next week. We'll go actual techniques. Yeah. I have a posture question. For sure. Frequently, my feet fall asleep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Is that common? Feet falling asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very common. My left leg always falls asleep. To do? About that? That's really good to know. Like when we're looking at um, 90, 90% of the time, you're not getting injured. You know, the one thing, the first thing that we say is if you're, if you're worried about injury, does it hurt when you get up? So, this is the first thing to look at is that you say, oh man, I, I can't sit like this for a moment longer. And the teacher will be like, do not move. You know, like, <laughs> do not get up. Because most of the time, it's it's going to be okay. With that said, if you like your knee hurts after your meditation, like ten minutes later, twenty minutes later, that's not good, right? So don't do that. With when your leg falls asleep, no problem. You know, um, just make sure that you're doing the best, that your sitting posture is okay, and then sometimes just rocking forward or backward mm-hmm. will allow blood to rush in or or not. But with that said. Um, my left leg always falls. Well, not always, but it does a lot, and it, I just don't care anymore. Like it just—you could just do my legs asleep meditation. <laughs> yeah. Just notice. But then it turns to pins and needles. Then it, and, and then you then do. It gets painful. And, and then I have you to do wake it up. pins and needle meditation. <laughs> blood okay. rushing back in meditation. Okay. And just All watch right. it with non-judgmental awareness. Process. The whole thing. Just watching it go. Watching it come back. The main thing is, like, when you stand up, they'll be very careful. Because um, I know It'll a woman... It'll be falling down meditation. It will be falling down meditation. <laughs> and I know a woman who broke her ankle like that because um, she just put all the weight down and didn't know it was asleep and couldn't feel when, the, when it met the floor. Just be, be careful. What I've noticed sometimes, and I think this is worth noting, is whether it really is asleep or it feels like it's going to sleep. I often would think my leg was asleep, but it wouldn't actually be. But it felt in the meditation just while it was going to sleep. I don't know if anybody else has had that. So it was one of those that, which it was my relationship to the pain, not what was going on physiologically. I see. Which is what you're saying, because this really has to do with your relationship with pain, your reactivity. Right. And whether you can sit with it or not. Right. So, it's also easy to sabotage something that needs to be set through, but we don't want to yes. hurt. Yes. Yeah. So you, we're just trying to find that that line. Like we want to sit with it and be with it, and not just habitually react to it. And we don't want to be unwise. So the the main thing is is just before you move, be with it for a moment, mm-hmm. non judgmental, compassionate awareness. Do I need to move now? Now. Now, I saw the Dalai Lama one time. He's just like, you know, if you need, if you really need to scratch, <laughs> let you scratch, scratch mindfully, you know. Like, <laughs> so, but just be aware, you know. So it's not just habitual. Isn't yeah. it also to? also acceptable to sit in this position in yoga they call it varasana yeah which I, I think a lot of people I totally forgot thank you for bringing that, that up um, that problem yeah. are you on a cushion there I'm on a really big cushion okay yeah, perfect need a so um, or you turn the regular cushions you turn them up on their on themselves or you see some people here with the meditation benches oh no bench Linda yeah so these benches are nice too and you see automatically hips above the knees you know as soon as you do that um, sometimes you'll need a higher cushion because the stress point there is at the top of your feet, actually. Um, so the legs, you want to get one depending on your flexibility level because you can see Shannon, so her, her toes pointed back. But then there's, you know, if that part of your foot isn't flexible, that's what will start to stress. Um, but that's a very comfortable way to do, do it as well. So, your correction of my posture made a huge difference. Mm. Oh, great. Really noticeable. Um, but I go to different places and meditate, and it's not always possible. Like, we have all these cushions that we can sort of, you know, 
it's not always possible to have those. Mm -hmm. I like to travel light usually. So is it just a matter of getting more flexibility in the leg? I don't, I'm not sure. It sounds like a really weird question right now, but <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, some, some people, it's just how we're built, you know? So like not wanting it to like, I mean, a lot of people, like for, for me, I could never sit like this at all. It just, it took, and I can't touch my toes. I mean, I'm not, people think, sometimes people think, I'm a meditation teacher. Oh, you do yoga. No. <laughs> I can't touch my toes. Um, all I could do is sit like this. But, so over time, it's it's helped me. Yeah. Like, I've gotten way more comfortable. But, um, but yeah, you just might have to bring some stuff, not travel yeah. so lightly, or just sit in a chair. There's, like, nothing wrong yeah, with sitting in a chair. True. That's true. That's like, true. no problem. But really, big Wonderful. Thank you. On posture, does I've always thought this made a difference, and maybe it doesn't. All right, when you're in a chair, you don't have, you're not supporting your own body. If you're sitting like this, you are. Does it matter whether you're leaning? And I have a back jack, so sometimes when I go to yeah. a retreat or something, I'm listening to a talk. I'll get the back jack, and it is great. It's great comfort, but I don't meditate on it, and it seems better or more worthwhile to me that. Here, I'm supporting my own body. Uh, nothing else is holding me up. Yeah. Is, is that an issue at all? It is. Um, this gets a little into the subtle body stuff, but there is an energetic component, you know, because when, um, when we meditate, our chakral system, our chakras, mm -hmm. they actually turn up like sunflowers in what they call the Shushmana channel. So our chakra systems are usually pointed outwards. But then meditation, even like mindfulness, like you're not doing a kundalini practice or anything like this, this moment you become aware, the chakras turn up like sunflowers and they open up. And this is why you always talk, talk I mean, this whole system is set up for a back to be straight, whether you're in a chair, but if you lean back on a chair, then we're actually kind of squishing those energetic channels. So no matter what, which I should have said, is chair or cushion or we do like our back to be straight mm -hmm. in, in meditation and not to slouch because those those energy channels we do want them to be open and to, to, to move freely yeah so um, with chairs which I didn't say get ones without any arms and 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 move up into the up into the front of the chair so your back's not against it Can I add something? Sure. Um, when you were uh, speaking about, you know, an itch or a discomfort, I had uh, heard some training that was helpful for my mind that if you can uh, pause for three breaths and then attend, sometimes the scratch goes away. And what you're really doing for your brain is you're relaxing your reaction in life. to uh, try to sit on the floor and I'm just horribly not flexible. Uh, so I find that if I have a chair, it's important for it to be at the right height so I can have my knees mm -hmm. below my hips. And sometimes a small cushion, the smaller my back, tends to help to keep me from leaning back. And uh, so sitting in the chair is uh, very comfortable. Yeah. Thank you. I wish I could sit on the floor. <laughs> and so people, one of the first um, retreat centers I lived at, it was a community, it was a really special community, and they've been meditating together at the time for 35 years. And they meditate every morning together for 35 years. It's really incredible. And um, half of them sat in chairs. And you know, they were older at that point, too, and, and everything, some amazing beings. And... Um, yeah, it's just, there's nothing, nothing about sitting on the ground. Yeah. Let's see if we do not time. Practice questions. So, like, if you meditate at the beach, and it isn't the optimal, would you say that it's possible still to 
I know you might be focused on the itchy sand or something, but I mean, just to capture being in nature and being able to, to sit for a little bit. Is it something, I mean, is that still, would you consider that still? Why would, you, why would you say it's not optimal? Pardon me? Why would you say it's not well, optimal? Well, maybe it isn't the most comfortable. It is in a chair. Oh, most comfortable. You might sit on a rock or something. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. I mean, the cool thing about the sand, they're so close to the beach, is that you can build whatever you want. <laughs> you know? So, when I go, I build, like, a cushion. <laughs> I dig out for my feet. <laughs> you know? Um... But yeah, this kind of goes back to anytime, anywhere. So we want to be able just to wake up anytime, anywhere. And so the Buddha would always say, you know, you know, meditate uh, sitting, meditate lying down, uh, meditate standing up, meditate walking, meditate run, like, you know, so fold it all in. And then, of course, our, our formal practice is where the real depth comes. And then we want to just take it everywhere as well. Just to uh, agree with you, uh, I like to read uh, Zen Enlightenment stories, and there are quite a few about people who've been doing all manner of things, from running, walking, vomiting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's some you good can ones. Become enlightened in a whole lot of positions. Yeah, a whole lot of situations. Yeah, Zen's <laughs> awesome for that. <laughs> It's like Zen's like the least, ex wherever you least expect it, that's like how enlightenment happens. Like when we're not forcing it, and that's part of that resting thing, you know? When we stop striving, there's seeking mind, non-seeking mind, and what we're seeking is non-seeking mind. And we seek it until it seeks us. And then <laughs> we notice that it's seeking us the whole time. Meditation sustained, focused. What was the last word? Awareness. Sus sustained voluntary attention. Oh, sustained voluntary. Voluntary. We could have like dog medit, like dog samadhi, like a dog looking at a treat, full samadhi. Right? Hold a treat in front of a dog. <laughs> a dog, you go up, down, the dog's like, amazing, right? The dog is not necessarily conscious of consciousness, not that same, you know what, I'm meditating on this biscuit, man, it's cookie, I'm not going to let it go anywhere, the, do the door knocks, you know, there's a knock at the door, the dog's like, like right back, you know, but voluntary, that's the different voluntary, sustained voluntary attention. Um, you know, we're supposed to meditate for the benefit of all beings and to gain enlightenment. And for me, I just always—it's really hard for me to grasp that, like that I could somehow gain enlightenment in this lifetime. And it, it almost seems ridiculous. Um, but then there's another really small part of me that says, but who am I to say that I can't? You know? Maybe that's actually super arrogant to think that I can't. I, I, and, and I just, like, I, I feel like that's deeply ingrained in me. Like, no way. Like, how many people gain enlightenment? Who am I to think that? You know, so mm -hmm. do you have anything to say? For sure. Um... The Tibetan teachers emphasize this a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, and that is to read biographies, autobiographies of beings that reached enlightenment. Um, like Milarepa is an example of one that is used a lot in Tibetan culture because Milarepa, he killed, I forget the exact number, do you know the exact number? 32? No, I don't. 30. He robbed a lot too. Yeah. So really quick Milarepa story. What's that? Killed family members and Yeah. 
really quick story of Milarepa, for example, of like someone reaching enlightenment that shouldn't have, you know, in, in, in that he, um, he was wronged by his uncle. His father passed away. His uncle was supposed to give the family all the land. His uncle didn't and actually pretty much made the whole family slaves. And so when Milarepa came of age, his mom said, go learn black magic. We're going to get back at your uncle. Which he did. He went and learned black magic. Millerape was really good at black magic. And um, he went to go kill his uncle, but his uncle was throwing a big party, and he ended up killing like, people like in the 30s, like 30-something people, right? Because the house fell down and killed everyone. And so Millerape said, I'm going to be reborn into a hell realm. Like, I better reach enlightenment right now. Like, I better reach, this is his motivation. He's like, if I don't reach enlightenment this lifetime... Because of all my negative karma, there's no way. I have to. So he went to the black, black, black magic teacher and said, hey, do you know a real teacher? Like, a white magic <laughs> <laughs> And he says, you know, I did hear somebody. In fact, I'm really messed up, too. I'm going to go with you. And, um, because he has a lot of negative karma, too. So anyway, he went, met an amazing teacher. He made him do a whole bunch of funny stuff. And... Um, and really dedicated the rest of his life to his practice and reach enlightenment in one lifetime. Um, after all of that, all of that negativity, and there's a whole much more than that, but um, so reading over and over and over again of these normal people, you know, just like us, just like you and I, and they're not just like the, the Buddhists and the Rinpoches and all this stuff, they're like the Adyashantes, you know? The BMX, he's a little kid BMX racer in... in um, Marin County, you know, and studied Zen, and he, like Trudy says, he practices ass off. Like he was just like <laughs> practice, 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 you know. But he did it, you know. And so there's liberation stories everywhere. It's not that uncommon actually, um, if you really dedicate yourself. The Byron Katie's, like, yeah. um, all those ones. It's like, but just read over and over again. And I think the faith that comes from like Tibetan culture is that not they're just around it. You know, they're around their uncle, their, their teacher, their this or that. It's like, but we could be around it too, you know. Read Autobiography of a Yogi. There's ten right there, you know, like all those stories. Blazing Splendor is the Tibetan version of that. Like, it's, an auto, it's a biography from um, Ergen Rinpoche, but he talks about all these other masters, one after another, all these enlightened beings. So biographies are amazing. There's one that you might like uh, called Hardcore Zen. This guy was a punk rocker, and then he went to Japan and started making uh, Godzilla movies, mm. you know, with the little rubber costumes. He's like, who am I to become enlightened? He became a Zen master. Yeah. Yeah, Hardcore Zen's a good one. What's the name of it again? Hardcore Zen. Attorney, yeah. is there, uh, I don't know anything about it, uh, is, is there a relationship between two individuals? practitioner and a master that's uh, like unique or, or on an individual basis or is always in a in a in sangha situation do you have relationships with students one-on-one or do I personally yeah and is that um, is that helpful is that is that part of the process is it um, I would say like the teach the yeah the teacher the teacher student development um, it is important, like, even, like, you know, if you hear, like, a llama, like, a, a someone unattainable, I was talking to my teacher, Venable Tenzin Chogi, and um, I said, how do you know all these, like, world, inter- like, internationally traveling teachers, like, Lama Zopa and Chojin Bishé and all this stuff, and she would know them all intimately, and I how do you do that? She's like, I bug them, like, all the time, like, I send them letters, like, all the time. And then when they come, I, I tell their attendant, I'm going to make an appointment with Rinpoche. Like, give me 10 minutes or whatever. I bug them and I bug them and I bug them. And yeah, that one, in, there's, a, there's a transference of mind, you know. Like, they see the enlightenment is that when, um, or in Zogchen, they do pointing out. And so it's a very intense connection. And then they point out nature of mind uh, between teacher and student. But the more, it's like if you're hanging around, whoever, you know, we are who we hang around. <laughs> You know, if you're hanging around enlightened beings, it's a better chance <laughs> than hanging around, you know, like Sri Gitsar would say, uh, environment is stronger than will. Like, you know, be careful who you hang around. But yeah, there's a transference of mind. So the more, the better. The closer, the better. You know, for sure. But I mean, for me personally, I mean, 
just sitting in the presence of somebody who's awakened is extremely powerful. Like, <coughs> extremely. We've all read a book and been inspired, right? Like, you feel the energy just through words of teachers, you know, comes through. <coughs> One more. How do you, what's the definition of enlightenment? How do you know someone's been enlightened? Like you named off a bunch of names. Like, okay, really? I didn't know that. I mean, I know of her, but yeah. she's enlightened, and that's, everyone knows that? Is that me? Um, your teacher, for one, doesn't have to be enlightened to be a teacher. So like in the Tibetan tradition, they would say, hang out with them for 12 years. And if in that 12 years, they're still pretty cool and they don't do anything weird, um, you know, then it's a good, good thing. So um, <laughs> we usually don't have that much patience. But um, we got this on retreat. Someone asked, what's enlightenment? So this is enlightenment. Here's my enlightenment. That's it. <laughs> I didn't know they were like. Um, but there's a lot of discernment. So there's a lot of discernment, and a lot of it is like just like cross-referencing, just like we would, is somebody a good employee or not. That's why lineage is extremely important. Um, we have a really strong basis of people's actions over long periods of time. So you have someone, um, just because everyone knows his name, like the Dalai Lama. So the Dalai Lama is... Um, by most accounts, an enlightened being, right? So there's some sort of omniscience there. Um, and then there's people that have hung around the Dalai Lama, hung around Lama Zopa for a long period of time. Um, you get to know them, like not know them just like their teachings, but you know people who know them. Um, and through that discernment, through research and discernment, and also people, like say the Dalai Lama will say, this person is... And just like we have Inside LA, like Inside LA is a lineage, just dating back, you know, going back, back to India, and they give authorization to teach. So authorization to teach was given to Jack Kornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein by their teachers, and then Inside LA goes back. So lineage is really important. This is why I say it's very difficult, you know, um, to follow someone without lineage. It's very difficult. But then you have the rare cases because you brought up Byron Katie. Now, if you read Byron Katie and you, and you hear her and you're in her presence, but you've sat with other people that have been vouched for, <laughs> you're like, it's hard to say that she's not fully there, you know? Um, yeah, it's just through discernment, you know? So uh, the insight of the people that you just mentioned, Jack Cornfield, are they enlightened? Are they considered enlightened? And here's another thing. Like, if someone tells you that they're enlightened, they're probably not enlightened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enlightened, whatever. Yeah, no one ever says, like, Jack Kornfield and them are, you know, are enlightened beings. Okay. But, um, what's that again? You really know them by their teaching. Yeah, their teaching intention. And, or no one said, like, that they're not. You know, Joseph Goldstein has relayed some pretty amazing experiences that like satori type of experiences that he's relayed so but anyway we're just one more but we're out of time but i'll let you i, I just wanted to respond to that a lot of lineages certify people and say this person's alive this person's alive like you see you know and then some lineages like zen they have uh, three levels of enlightenment so how enlightened are they and then they even test <laughs> uh, according to there's a first enlightenment answer second enlightenment answer and the third enlightenment answer to certain questions so there, some, some lineages have it very systematized. Yeah, the Hindu lineages do too, and other Tibetan lineages, stream enters, and all, all these different levels. And you can have a waking experience, but it doesn't need your nirvana samadhi, which is like this continual samadhi state. So there's all these different things. But um, you know, if you're sitting with a teacher and you feel that you're in a development, that you're, that you're, that this is the main thing is that. A teacher is not there to be a great teacher. Who gives a shit? They're a great teacher. <laughs> if they're a great teacher if you feel like you're improving. This is, this is the main thing. I think if you feel like you're getting something out of it, this is the main thing. Because they say, like, at some point, like, 
just believe your teacher's a Buddha. Like, they have this one thing, like, your teacher's a Buddha, even though if he acts, like, not a good... <laughs> like, but... If, if this is relating to you and you're feeling this within yourself, that it's, it's helpful. Because um, it, it's funny when I said, you know, who cares if somebody's a good teacher, like they're charismatic and this and that. It's like, but what, what, are, you, what are you feeling? Like what's, what's happening within yourself? That's the most important piece. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. I'm just gonna let's dedicate the merit just because we spoke about that for a moment, just resting our eyes for a moment. Just thinking of the love, peace, insights that arose today, the wisdom, the compassion. Maybe just sending sending that out to all beings, all the places in the world that are suffering right now, and all of our brothers and sisters in the community that couldn't make it here. Just all, all these beings that are working so hard just to survive, just to live, just to make it through the day. Sitting together like this is a luxury. So we need to spread this out to our community. Sitting here, taking a moment to find peace and tranquility, serenity. So when we leave here today, the most important part about, of a meditation is when our butt leaves the cushion. It's when we take it out into our life. So may we spread this goodness to our community today, to our friends and family. Omane Pemium. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.